Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Um, man, you guys are here on a rainy Sunday. I wasn't sure if we were going to just put a clothes sign on the door, but uh, God bless you guys, and uh, we're going to have church today. We're going to have a good time, and I'm just so excited about what God's going to do. We've been in this series called Culture Killers, and we've been talking about building culture, building culture in the church and what we want to be as a church, but also it can apply to your life, to your family. Um, anytime you gather together, there's a culture. And um, we've talked about the fact that, you, you know, when you're trying to build culture, there's always things that come against it that try to kill that culture. And, um, and we're, we've tried not to focus too much on the negative in this series, but we've been throwing out vision the last two weeks, and today we're going to continue to do the same. We started talking about what is it that you lean into in your life? What is it that you go for, that you live for? And we talked about that two weeks ago and how important it is to, to go after God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love people. Um, and last week we talked about, we called it Break It Open, where we talked about the woman with the uh, alabaster box that, that crashed a dinner party and poured out what she had, her very best, uh, to Jesus, and it blessed him so much. Today I want to finish this sermon uh, series out, this message series out, and I've called this Love Ridiculously. Love Ridiculously, because that is the gospel. Um, we are living in a critical time in, in, on God's timetable, and there's so much division going on around us. I mean, we find ourselves in a post-Christian culture. And, um, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, uh, it was pretty much a given that if someone was struggling and they were, they were looking for answers, they would go to a church. That's not the case anymore. Um, it's a different culture that we live in. And there's a lot of things that are killing our culture today, the health of our culture. Politics is not doing any favors to our culture. There's racism. There's issues of racism. There's uh, issues of sexuality. There's, there's issues of addiction. and There's just a lot going on in our world. And do you know that whenever you try to reach out to people, there's always a risk in it? Have you noticed that? There's always a risk. And it can be very uncomfortable being around people that have different views than you. Uh, we tend to gravitate towards people that are like us. We'll friend people on Facebook that believe the way we do, that, that have the same politics that we do. You ever notice that? We, we, we like being around people that look like us and think like us. But, but you know, I, it's interesting that um, I, I find myself serving on a few advisory boards for local government in our community. And, uh, and I find myself surrounded most of the time with people who have different politics than I have, different... Uh, different views on um, just about everything you could think of. And there's times I'm like, you know, I've tried to tell myself I'm not going to like these people at all. And then I get around them and I fall in love with them, even though we have completely different views. But I, I look at the person and I think, you know what, I want to build relationship with some of these people. I want to make a difference in their life. Not to try to get them to think the way I do necessarily, but just to love them ridiculously. Jesus always risked reaching out. He always managed to get beyond 
whatever social issue was at hand. He didn't care about the social issues. I mean, he looked at a tax collector and said, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And everyone was like, what? He's a crook. And on and on it went. He wasn't afraid to uh, have a conversation with a woman that was caught in adultery right in the middle of the street. And he knelt down right there with her and had a conversation with her. Jesus wasn't afraid to love ridiculously. We're going to look at a situation that happened. I'm going to read part of it, and I'm going to expect you to go home and read the rest of the story. But it's a situation that happened in the most unlikely place. There were two strangers that met beside a well on a hot afternoon in Samaria. One was a woman. The other was a man. We don't know the woman's name, but we know that the man was Jesus. And and this brief conversation that Jesus had with this woman changed not only her life, but the life of the entire town that she lived in, just from a conversation, just by loving ridiculously. I want to set this up real quick. Um, So there was a racial issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jews would always go twice as, as far out of their way to go around Samaria than to go through it because they just couldn't stand the people. And the people couldn't stand the Jews. They thought they were pious and self-righteous, and, and the Jews looked at the Samaritans as less than human. It was terrible. And Jesus sent his disciples uh, a particular way, and, and Jesus had an appointment, and he went right into Samaria, right, right, right in the heart of it. And he shows up at a well one day knowing, because he's God, that there was a woman that would be there at, at, a, at a strange time of the day, not when everyone else would go and get water, but he knew that she would show up at a particular time, and he was waiting there for her. And he has a conversation with her. And, um, and that conversation we'll get into in a minute, but that, that conversation, just by having a talk with someone, caused her to see her need for God in her life. He wasn't afraid to, to go beyond the, the social stereotypes and, 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 and break through some things to reach the person that was behind it. So we're going to pick it up in verse 27 of John chapter 4. And it says, uh, this is after his conversation. It says, at that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. And yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one that we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. Then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus told them, Don't worry about me. I have eaten a meal that you don't know about. Puzzled by this, the disciples began to discuss among themselves, Did someone already bring him food? Where did he get this meal? And then Jesus spoke up and said, My food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, 
Why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming in. Now is the harvest time. Everyone say, now is the harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain ready for a spiritual harvest. You know, in that harvest, there's sons and daughters that are going to come to Jesus this year. In that harvest, there's co-workers that, that you can barely tolerate, but you know they need Jesus, and you might lead them to Jesus. They're part of that harvest. There's neighbors. There's friends. There's family. There's, acquaintance, there's people that you run into that might uh, serve you coffee or pump your gas, whatever the fact, but there's a harvest coming, and it's now. And as this woman looks at Jesus and he looks at her, there's four invisible walls that stand between them. There's this religious wall where, um, you know, Jews didn't want anything to do with Samaritans and vice versa. There's a gender wall. It wasn't right for him to be talking to a woman out in public like that. There's a racial wall. And, And there's a moral wall. Because this woman had a past. <gasps> Has anyone here ever had a past? This woman had a past and then some. But Jesus found a way through every one of those walls to get to her heart. You know, we've got firemen that, that are part of the harbor, and, and when you come up on a house that's burning, you don't stand in the driveway and yell with your megaphone, okay, attention, everyone in the house, please Exit in an orderly manner. No, what do you do? You guys are crazy. You guys get in there and search the whole house to see if there's anyone in that house. And if there is, you bring them out. You go in where they're at. Jesus intended to save this woman, so he went where she was. And what I love about Jesus is that you know, he's walking with his disciples, and, and because he's God, he knew there would be a woman there at a certain time, and he was willing to do whatever it took to meet her and to connect with her. And that same ridiculous love is the same love that he has chased you with your whole life. And he's pursued you, and he's reached out to you. And some of you that are here for the first time today, you are here today because Jesus made it all happen so that you could be loved on. Isn't that amazing? And the conversation begins with a simple question from Jesus. I I love the fact that he doesn't, you know, approach her and say, "Uh, Dear woman, the scriptures say, he says, Hey, uh, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? He's tired and thirsty, and she has the water that he needs, but what she doesn't know is that he has the water that she needs. He was thirsty and knew it. She was thirsty and didn't know it. The woman did not come to the well seeking Jesus, but Jesus went to the well seeking the woman. And and, and this is shocking because, um, you know, for three reasons. that The Jew was not to speak to a Samaritan. Um, a woman was not to speak to a man in public that she didn't know or he didn't know her. It was almost unheard of. And, and a, a Jew 
could not drink from a Samaritan's cup. Rabbis actually taught that it was a sin to touch a utensil that a Samaritan had touched. That's a hatred that runs deep. And when the woman saw Jesus, she knew he was a Jew by the way he was dressed. She probably assumed that he was just passing through. And he offers her living water, and he's being deliberately vague because he's wanting her to discover the need in her life for this living water. And, you know, he, he says, you came here for water, but I've got water that you've never dreamed of before. And he is leading her step by step to a saving faith. I love the fact that, that he begins by helping her see her need. You're thirsty. You've been searching your whole life for something and you've never found it. I've got something that can quench that thirst and you'll never be thirsty again. And then he reveals who he is. And she sees it. And then he offers her something that would literally change her life. He didn't say, I'm just going to quench your thirst temporarily. What he's saying is, I will banish it forever, once and for all. When you experience the living water that I have brought, you will never be thirsty again. That's what we call a teachable moment. And Jesus returns again and again to the central issue, do you know who I am? It's almost... Uh, it's almost as if he, he was saying, if you knew who I was, if you knew my true identity, then you could ask and I would give you something that leads to eternal life. Not just a drink of water from a gushing spring, but water that wells up within your soul and just pours out of you. What I love about the grace of God and the character of God is that only someone who really loves you can look at your past without even blinking. She had a past. He didn't react. He didn't respond like, oh, you are so bad, woman. <laughs> you really need a Savior. That's not what he did. I love the fact that, that, that he started a conversation with her, he knew the story, but he wanted her to see it. And she starts to admit that she's been married several times. And in fact, the, they, were all, they were all failed relationships. And the guy that she was with, she wasn't even married to. And I'm sure that there was a little bit of pain when she said that. Because that reflected that she, she was a failure at relationships. That reflected that she had a past. I'm sure people in town whispered and talked about her. Maybe some of those men that were her husbands lived in that small town. And Jesus didn't even blink. And I love the fact that ridiculous love means knowing the truth about someone and reaching out and loving them ridiculously anyway. We got to get past seeing people's sin and failure and look to the person. I feel like we live in a, in a place where, in, in, a, in, a, in a time where people just are. are acting outrageously and looking outrageous because I feel like they're screaming, would someone please see me? Notice me. So Jesus is with the disciples. This woman had left. And 
I think these guys had some Italian in them, maybe some New York, because they were talking about food. That's all they talked about. Jesus, have you eaten yet? We got a stromboli coming. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm good, guys. No, you haven't eaten all day. No, I'm good. I'm good. That's all they can think about is food. And they look up about a quarter mile away, and they can see the, the wheat fields blowing in the wind, but they also see about 50 or 60 men from this town of Sychar that are coming towards them with this woman leading the charge. They, they can see the, their, their turbans and their robes glistening in the light as, they, as they're walking towards them. And, and uh, Jesus is saying to, to, the, to the disciples that the fields are ripe for harvest. Now, they were about four months away from the actual harvest of wheat. The disciples weren't getting it. And he's like, look up. Here's the harvest. Here's the fields that are ripe. Jesus was not talking about grain or wheat or corn or anything like that. He was talking about a harvest of people, a harvest of men coming into the kingdom of God. And it wasn't four months from now or tomorrow or next year. He's saying right now is the time. There are people in your life, and I can't say this strong enough, that now is the time. They are crying out every day of their life for something bigger than themselves. They are crying out for meaning in their life. They are crying out for purpose. And I want you to know that don't put it off, but God has put you in a position, quite possibly, that you, by loving them ridiculously, will lead them to a relationship with a Savior that's crazy about them. So just a few things. The first thing is ridiculous love begins with a God encounter. I can't love ridiculously until I've experienced love ridiculously. The Bible says that while we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. See, he loved you when you were at your worst. Not the cleaned up version that's here today, but when you were at your worst, he loves you the most. It begins with a thirst, doesn't it, with all of us. We're thirsty. We, we can't quench the thirst. There's a void in us that we can't fill. Whatever we get leaks right out, and we're empty again the next day, and we're looking, we're going through life, and, you know, a lot of us, we, we did a lot of things to try to fill that need, and it never lasted. We were thirsty. There's an inner craving, and God's ridiculous, relentless, and all-powerful love apprehends us, and we start to have a relationship with this loving God, and, and we, we start to learn that, that we should love Him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, and then love my neighbor or you, our people, as ourselves. I love what Paul said in Ephesians 5. He said, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Man, you are meant to walk into dark environments, heavy environments, and just by loving people change the atmosphere because we bring with us a kingdom of God, and it's a different kingdom than the kingdom of the world. And people respond to that. 
We know this woman had a thirsty soul because one symptom of a thirsty soul is that you go from relationship to relationship. And you'll never find it in human companionship, will you? I can't love ridiculously until I've been loved ridiculously. The second thing is I just want to remind you that ridiculous love always tells you to go beyond the ordinary. Jesus, in this case, and so many other times, always went the extra mile for people. In this case, he, he went right into the heart of a enemy territory, if you want to call it that, in every way. I wonder why sometimes our culture shuns Christianity. I wonder if it's because of our lack of love. You know, Romans 2 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's the kindness of God. It's when you are loved. That, that, that's a game changer, isn't it? Ridiculous love will ask you to be unreasonable at times. I shared this in the first service, I, and I've shared this before. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. But um, back in 1996, some of you remember the blizzard of 96. And uh, we, were, we had just started church planting, and we were, we were um, trying to earn money any way we could, um, and, and I, was, I ended up landing a, a job plowing snow for that blizzard. And f- 27 hours straight, I worked with about 20 ex-convicts. Uh, most of them, uh, most of them, all of them had records. Uh, and, and, and so what I, what, I didn't, what I didn't want to happen is that the guy that um, hired me, I wish he wouldn't have done this, he told all those guys that I was a pastor. Man, that's just not right. So I'm trying to work harder than the rest of the guys and try to be tougher and try to not act spiritual because they were all waiting for me to preach to them. And these, were, these guys were rough, man. I'm, I'm talking about rough around the edges. So after 27 hours of getting to know these guys, and, and what was hilarious about it was, um, uh, you know, together as a group, you know, they, they were kind of standoffish. But... Through the night and the next day, one by one, they'd come to me. And it would be so funny. They'd come up, and it'd be like, it'd be like one of these things, like. Could you pray for me, man? Because <laughs> I'm meeting with a probation officer, and it's not looking good. <laughs> or, or, you know, yeah, my wife left me, and I'm in tr- I mean, it was that way the whole night. I think I went through all the guys. So at the end of the night, it was the following night. I was exhausted. <coughs> now, you have to understand that I had a nasty battle with alcohol, and, um, <clears throat> and I, 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 I abused it. I abused everything. I mean, I, I tried smoking cattails one time, and I don't know. I don't even heard anyone do that before, but I think it did cause some uh, brain damage. But um, whatever, whatever it would take, I would do. And there was no moderation in my life. I'm all in, 100%, full throttle with everything I do. And so alcohol was one of those things that I struggled with. And so when I gave my heart to Jesus, that was one thing I laid down because I, I was an absolute mess. So I, have not, I had not been in a bar 
and, and at that time, it was like 15 years. And so we get done with the night, and these guys are like, hey, pastor, come to the pub with us. We want to hang with you. And I'm like, no. What if I'm seen, I'm going to lose my credentials, and I'm the new pastor in town. You know, like what would people think? And so I called my wife from a payphone. That was in the days before cell phones. Payphone is a box that you could call and put a quarter in and call someone. I called her from a payphone. I'm like, honey, um, you're never going to believe this. They want me to go to the pub. And she got and spoke to her in her prayer time and said, he needs to go and do that. So I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. <laughs> no. So, uh, um, so I uh, I got there and and it was this it was this uh, Irish pub, and uh, it had been there forever. And it was like this big square around the bar, and they had like lighting and mirrors. And I don't remember I don't remember everything, but it was I remember it was a big square, and the bartender was in the middle. And uh, I don't go to these places a lot, so you have to bear with me. And um and if you know more about that than I do, then you might have an issue. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I, I go in there and I said to the guy that owns the the pub, I said, hey. Make me a pot of black coffee and keep my cup full. And so I'm sitting there around this bar with all these, these, these guys are so rough, man. And uh, one of them says, hey, tell us about this whole religious thing, how you got started in it. I'm like, okay. I start telling my testimony for like an hour and a half. And I felt the presence of God in that place. It got a little gnarly at times because every time someone would walk on, they're like, hey, Charlie, this is the new pastor in town. You need to hear this. And we were all gathered around this bar. There were guys standing behind like two or three deep listening to the, it was like, it was unbelievable. I felt the spirit of God stronger than I did at my church. I think I drank so much coffee that night. I'd been up for how many hours? I couldn't even, I was walking out there just twitching, man. But, but it was unbelievable. And so when I left, the, the owner of the pub said, hey, what can I do for you? you know, and I said, hey, you know, we're having a Friends Day next month. And he goes, bring by the posters. So the next day I'm, in his, I'm putting up posters in the pub of our Friends Day. And when that Friends Day happened, we had about 50 people at the time in, the, in that church service. And, and I, you know, the service started and about 20 minutes goes by. And I'm like, well, none of those guys are coming. All of a sudden, we were in a dance studio and it was a hardwood floor with folding chairs. And I'm kind of ridiculous. Everything has to be straight and then perfect. And, and these guys, all of a sudden the back door opens up and there's like 15 of these guys. It was like a herd of buffalo. The chairs were all over the place. And, I mean, guys weren't even sitting facing forward. They were sitting sideways looking at me, you know. And it was crazy. But from that point on, all those years that we lived there, I would run into these guys in town. And, and I was like their buddy, like, hey, Pastor Mike. You know, all because I did something ridiculous. I went outside my comfort zone in every way and chose to love on those guys. And, and, and you know, George, George Bernard Shaw said this. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. You just fit in to the world system. The unreasonable man persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable man. Reasonable people try to fit in and blend in, but unreasonable people want to get other people to experience the person of Jesus. God might ask you to do something crazy. 
to reach someone. Ridiculous love is also a propellant because it's what pushes you forward. It's what, it's what, it was, it's what pushes the kingdom of God forward when you're willing to love ridiculously. I, I don't know if anyone has ever uh, read the book Love Does by Bob Goff. But he tells the story in there about a woman that was kind of cranky, I think, and she had cancer, and she lived across the street from him. And he couldn't get her to church, but you know what he did to her? He bought, he bought a set of walkie-talkies, and he said, I'm going to give you a walkie-talkie, and when, I'm going to keep mine on all the time, and whenever you need to talk, you just talk into it. And she would talk. <coughs> Bob, are you there? <coughs> uh, yes, I'm here. And he led that woman to Christ before she died from buying a cheap walkie-talkie from Radio Shack. Ridiculous love. Ridiculous love begins with an encounter with God. When I am loved ridiculously, then I can love ridiculously. It, it, it's, it's, it continues just being committed to love people and love God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. And, and it grows when we're willing to go out on a limb. And be in situations that you don't find yourself really comfortable with sometimes. But you're there as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live, that's you and I, should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but live lives that are poured out for him. The one who died for us now lives again. As our band comes out, one of our uh, wonderful women of the harbor, Esther, told us today in Team Rally that about a month ago when she was getting her hair done, she just felt led to tell the, it's not a barber, what do you call a woman that cuts hair? How'd you know that, Jason? You're scaring me, bro. Beautician. Beautician. The beautician was cutting her hair, and, and, and she just felt led to say, you know, Jesus loves you so much. He cares for you. You are so valuable to him. That's all she said. She didn't get any response. And just a few days ago, she went back for her month, monthly hair thing. And, and the woman said to her, I just want you to know that I've been going back to church and I, I stopped hanging around with people that I shouldn't be with and I brought a few people with me to church by loving ridiculously. Vinny was sharing with me about one of his business associates that lives in another state, lives in the Bible Belt. Vinny just felt led to tell him, man, God has got such a marvelous plan for your life. Just spoke life into him. That's loving ridiculously. Don't be afraid to approach people. It's, it's a risk. I get it. But man, the payoff is unbelievable. Some of you that were alive in the 90s, um, we got so many young people. I, I, I say things and they're like, what's a phone booth? So uh, in 1997, Apple, who makes all of our phones, just about all of our phones, oh, we got some Apple fans in here, um, they, they, they were going through a tough time. <laughs> they, they were making some ugly products, and their sales had dipped. And so Steve Jobs had come up with this new campaign to rebrand Apple. Some of you are going to remember this. And so they had this commercial, and the tagline for the commercial was, Think Different. You remember that? 
So they, in the commercial, they showed a collage of photographs and film footage of people who influenced our world, people that were inventors and people that uh, sacrificed to improve the world, all different kinds of people. And as the images rolled by in the commercial, a voice read this, this poem. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing that you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do it. Now, if Apple figured it out, how much more should we figure it out with the kingdom of God? Amen. Could we stand? One woman with, with zero biblical knowledge and a mustard seed of faith brings her whole town to Jesus because of a conversation. If we stop loving people ridiculously, it will kill the culture that we're building here. To today's message, if you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.